0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. Really excited to have you join us for today's show. As always, I'm Dean, and I'm here with my man, Zach. What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? Man, it's good. It's good out there. Life's good. Things are good. You know, you get some perspective uh, lots of times. We just had uh, Thanksgiving here in Canada. Reminder of uh, just the practice of gratitude, and I mean who knows, we may talk about this in depth more later, but the state of the world is always precarious. And, you know, when peace is challenged in parts of the world, you remember how good it is to be able to walk the streets and live in peace. And so, yeah, kind of with the mixed mixed emotions of life is good and it is good to be alive. And we are grateful with the reality of the fragility of, of things. So,
1: yeah, it's been, uh I, I've, I feel that fully. I've been I think kind of paralyzed with with sadness this last week for what's happening in Israel and Palestine and yeah. and we do we're we're trying to you know figure out uh an episode on kind of addressing and and exploring some of some of what's happening and mm-hmm. working through it but uh I'm putting you on the spot here Dean okay but uh you know I often come to you when uh you know I feel sad or upset about something and and you've been counsel for myself through personal struggles, mm. business struggles, you know, spiritual questions of of you know big important things mm. um and I'm I know I'm putting you on the spot but I wonder if you can share a, a prayer of 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 mm. love um for those listening because uh whether I think everyone's feeling some sadness and anxiety of of the state of the world and and maybe you can share a word or two to offer some some sense of of love
0: yeah yeah for sure um definitely and I mean I think that's something that like you know, when things go sideways in the world, in our lives, kind of regardless of a religious tradition or not, we often turn to this sense of like, there's that greater entity or energy or being or God or deity, whatever it might turn to. And, and we become more fully embodied spiritual beings in times of turmoil and crisis. And so regardless of anyone's tradition, yeah, I definitely invite you to just close your eyes and, um, have a a heart posture of receiving and yeah we just step into a moment where we recognize that sometimes the world feels just perfect and everything is as it should be and then there are other times when it feels like calamity befalls us and tragedy is around every corner and we wrestle with the sadness and the restlessness and the paralyzing feeling of not being able to do anything while people are hurting and struggling. And we can see the depths of despair and pain on the faces of human beings that are not so different than the people that we are. And so we appeal to whatever we believe may be out there, God, spirit, ground of being to fill us with a sense of peace a rebellious sense of hope in the face of what seems like unending despair and the opportunity to see the value and inherent worth in every single human being, regardless of who they are and where they come from and even what they believe and even what they've done. Um, But to look at them as how God creator, you might look at them uh, a human child that is dearly loved and, and immensely valuable and, Help us to find our own humanity as we feel anger and pain and frustration. And so often want to pass judgment and share sharp words, help us to pause and reflect and ask how would I want to be responded to in a situation where I was feeling devastated or furious or lost or alone or scared. And let us respond from a place of compassion and peace rather than anger and frustration. Uh, yeah, I just uh, invite us all to be open to experience the transformative power of peace and grace and forgiveness in times when those things seem very, very far from us. Let it be so.
1: Well, thank you, Dean. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, we'll we'll explore this th- this happening further on a, a future conversation together so that we can kind of work through some of of what's happening um, conversationally but um, I think uh, the conversation that we had this week with the amazing Matt Maruka mm. uh, kind of represents you know this hope that we speak of yeah uh, you know his Instagram the light diet <laughs> yeah and in light uh, Matt Maruka literally, uh, embodies that uh, notion of light uh, through his view of the world, through his curiosity, through the work that he does, through his spiritual uh, uh, connection with the sun. Um, you know, on his Instagram, it says his bio, You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify. I'm sure that's from the Bible or something. You probably know.
0: Yeah. That's a that's a Jesus Christo oh, line. There, there we go. There yeah, we go. Yeah,
1: I'm always impressed that uh, like because I didn't grow up with a, kind of a Christian background, that uh, people that are versed in the Bible can like quote so many things. It's incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, that's from that's from one of my favorite sections of of uh, the New Testament. The story it's the, called the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, depending on your tradition and. It's basically where Jesus gives his like manifesto on how to live and it's uh, it's very beautiful. It's it's like it's a great if you're going to read anything from the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount is it's deeply rich, it's very poetic. Uh at times it leaves you kind of like wondering, but the essence of it is just so beautiful and profound and and is an invitation to live and so yeah, I, I think Matt lives that way. He is a light. He's a he is someone who promotes this uh, connection to earth connection to one another Uh, again it's kind of that reminder that we all you know are connected to to this place it's almost like an indigenous understanding this idea of interconnectedness without the sun there's no plants there's no us without right we breathe out the carbon dioxide the plants breathe it in we get oxygen from like we're just all interconnected yeah and in need of and in service of one another and that's like the flow of the universe and in many ways that's what matt invites us to see and and to live and for me that was always the the kind of center point of whatever i was trying to appeal to people to understand and see about jesus was it was living in rhythm with or in the flow of the universe not against it it's not these rules it's the invitation to a beautiful way of life and I mean, I think Matt does the same thing when when we're talking about connecting to the earth and connecting to the source of sunlight and how we can um, rely on these things in our breath and all of these things to 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 kind of level up and live a life that's like rich in meaning and and full of health.
1: Yeah, I think Matt's been one of those transformative individuals for myself. Uh, once I uh, became aware of his his own journey and adventure and curiosities um i've listened to probably 15 or 20 podcasts that he's guested on i love his curiosity how he explores the world uh he's got a beautiful open mind uh and he goes deep into whatever curiosity he finds himself um interested in so from from light to quantum energy to his own spiritual journey uh, to building an incredible business with Raw Optics. Uh, he makes the the premier, the the best, in my opinion, blue light blocking glasses on the planet. I've got a pair myself. Uh, they're awesome. I wear them at night uh, when I'm on my devices. Um, so check out rawoptics.com. It's uh, kind of changed my perception of uh, you know the light diet how, how blue light and artificial light affects our whole being from our, our microbiome to our circadian rhythm to our anxiety and, and general well-being so um, his work for me has been eye-opening and transformative and if you listen to him on all our po- other podcasts like he's very much a student of the world and um, I like listening to him because I feel like it's like you're part of a conversation where someone is is a student mm. and they're exploring it so deeply and you get to be a part of that kind of exploration so yeah, um, he's on a lot of podcasts and every conversation is dynamic and interesting and different so yeah. if this episode tracks with you I, I encourage you to look up Matt Maruka on wherever you listen to your podcast to uh, dive into my, I think my favorite ones have been on evolving wellness, uh, with, uh, Sarah Kleiner, I think yeah. is her name. And, uh, the always interesting Paul check. I think those have been my favorite ones. So if this tracks with you, definitely tune into those. Uh, also has a great episode, I believe with Darren O'Lean, um, have to double check but if they're they're all good he's such a fascinating interesting person that uh you know you just want to be buddies with this guy and go for long walks and have great conversations similar to kind of the relationship that we have dean
0: yeah no it's great he's got an abundance of energy um so many cool ideas and is just like a student of life to the fullest degree and so in that vein of its own like he's such an inspirational person to just be like yeah just to live and learn in this constant state of like wonder and just going deeper and deeper and deeper into you know the mysteries and and things that are out there for us to discover and find uh he is a a a role model and inspiration for that so we know um you're gonna dig this conversation we know you're gonna love Matt and just uh feel truly lit up from this conversation um as we were and so I guess without any further ado, let's turn it over to the man himself, Matt Maruca. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. We're very excited to uh, have this conversation today. We're sitting down with someone that we've both followed and admired uh, over the last year or so in, in many ways, sending your Instagram uh, posts and stories back and forth, digging into all of the things you've been curious about and we're excited to just dive in and you know throw some questions your way and have a conversation. Matt Maruka, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. It is great to be with you.
2: Thank you guys for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah.
0: I'll,
1: I'll kind of use this as a, a jumping board. But uh, So Dean and myself, we, when we started this podcast, uh, we kind of had a certain lens understanding of what health and wellness looked like, at least for ourselves. And that was mostly around diet, Um, exercise, movement, and then um, through Darren O'Lean, through Dr. Jack Cruz, through uh, some other, Carrie Bennett, uh, we kind of got curious about, uh, you know, what was being labeled as a quantum lifestyle, Um, so we got into the sunlight, the water, the grounding, and through that uh, we discovered yourself, and our perception of the sun and light has evolved so much, uh, from going to I mean it, it became so obvious the more that we kind of dove into that that the sun is the source of light of life and um, you know you can't grow a vegetable without sunlight it's a it's a vital ingredient um, so we're really excited to kind of dive into to light dive into your your path your origins uh, something we admire deeply about yourself is is your pursuit of your own curiosities and um, you're you're having the the posture as a student uh, being a life learner and just kind of sharing those learnings as you go with a a sense of curiosity. So um, I thought as a as a jumping board, we could kind of build an understanding of blue light and then kind of get into sunlight because we're kind of in this culture where we sit on our computers, we look at our cell phones, but we don't understand uh, kind of the the effect it's having on our our well-being kind of absorbing this 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 nutrient of of blue light and what it can be doing to our bodies
2: yeah well thank you Uh, i really appreciate that and first of all i would say you mentioned that light is a vital ingredient for growing vegetables and i love to clarify where i can it is the vital ingredient because Vita means life and, and, and sort of implies energy. And so light is, it's the vital ingredient for life. And it's a great place to start because the way for somebody to conceive how light affects our biology is to think about what biology is in the first place. So life is this thing, this mm, concept, uh, of living organisms, uh, which are structures of matter animated, so brought to life by some kind of energy. Uh, we could say in some sense that the ocean is also alive, that weather is in a sense alive because it's also animated by energy, uh, and life is is very similar. There's There are certain criteria that you know, biologists look at to define what makes something alive. So, you know, there's the metabolism, there's excretion, there's, I actually couldn't list all of them right now, but there are certain very specific qualities where they say, okay, this is actually a biological living organism, and this is not but it it should be mentioned that the line is somewhat arbitrary between sort of the planet itself being alive and living organisms uh, as such as we as we consider them so that there are there are definitely those those criteria are very valid but at one point life sprung forth from according to the most advanced theories these vents at the bottom of the ocean that due to a natural a process of reactions these structures started to form and it was just a natural result of the energy flow in the environment so life is really a certain phenomena we could say that exists on earth and maybe on other planets too that's outside of my domain at the moment but uh that is brought to life or made sort of active by energy another way to put that is that if we think about the isaac Newton he has these, he's created the basic laws of classical physics, one of which is the second law of motion, which says that in order for anything to move, it requires a force, uh, which is some kind of energy. And this is actually uh, an explanation from Dr. Douglas Wallace, who's one of the top mitochondrial researchers in the world, he gave during a talk, and it really stuck with me. So basically, he said that, you know, to, to the audience, well, you guys, in fact, you in the audience are the most animate or active thing in my entire environment uh and therefore well the question should be well where is all that energy coming from even when somebody's sitting dead still there's still hundreds of thousands of a hundred thousand give or take reactions occurring per cell per second that's what biologists kind of generally agree on right so that's a lot of of motion And hence, that requires a lot of energy. And the question would be, well, where is that energy coming from? And you could say, as as Dr. Wallace says, well, it's coming from the mitochondria. The mitochondria are producing ATP and they're converting energy from one form to another, from, for example, food we consume into useful chemical energy in the form of ATP, which is what biologists today agree on as sort of the energy currency of life. But I, I do believe there's much more to it than just ATP, based on everything I've been exposed to now, but it's one at least piece of the equation. And then the question would be to step back and say, well, where in the world is that energy coming from to make the ATP, or for example, when we eat food, where's the energy in the food coming from? And that's actually coming from light, as you mentioned from the beginning. So it actually takes energy from the sun to cause a water molecule to be split to basically make food. And then the energy we get when we have food is just basically the way that a plant stores excess solar energy. And then if an animal eats the food or the, the, the plant, then the animal storing that energy in it's fat and it might make proteins, but we don't really use proteins for energy. We use them more for structure. um, They're sort of the cables of energy in life and they carry out all sorts of functions, but the energy component of food is typically fats and carbohydrates, right? And so that's just stored light energy. Um, You could break proteins down, but it would be a really inefficient use of a protein because it's not really designed just as an energy store to break it down into sugar. But again, if you were starved of in the odd case, you didn't have fats and sugars, but you had proteins, you would break th- those down and, and basically make yeah, really sugar, you'd have sugar from the protein and break it down for energy. So anyway, back to blue light. Um, the reason that it, this is relevant, the reason I'm sharing this is so that people can understand that light is actually the foundational energy source for life. So when you think about mitochondria, all that energy is ultimately primarily coming from light uh, in different forms. Sunlight, uh, we could talk about something like prana or chi, which is considered to be sort of a, a cosmic energy according to yogic science and ancient chinese uh science it's not something that i've gone as deep into although i do have a decent amount of exposure to it but it's this sort of energy that's within us and all around us you could say uh, and that is another form of energy we could theoretically also derive energy from so anyway uh, blue light being one of the components of the light of the sun has a pretty profound impact on our biology. So it turns out that our body uses different wavelengths from the sun to control all sorts of different functions, which makes sense considering we evolved in the sun. Uh, it powered it, it powered the evolution of and continues to power so many different functions in our cells. Uh, we know that for example from really modern western research and not from a sort of spiritual or theoretical lens blue light controls our body's rhythm right so long story short when an organism is as as life evolved the theory goes organisms that could adapt to their environment changes in their environment had higher chances of sort of surviving right it was just more favorable for the organism to be able to be in one state when the sun is out and in another state when the sun is uh no longer present for example rest and repair when it's dark and activity when the sun is out Uh, the sun is a very powerful form of energy a source of energy and so when the sun's present it's actually very it can be very detrimental and damaging to to simple uh structures because it contains a lot of energy so it would actually be really wise and we have this in, in us today that when the sun comes out you activate your protective systems to protect against the radiation of the sun uh and to be able to utilize that energy also in a positive way and then when the sun is gone there's no need to expend that energy to have you know these protective systems active And so it would be, you know, that's more of a time for us to rest and repair. That's a a, diurnal animals follow that pattern. Nocturnal animals follow a different pattern. They're actually more active at night and less active during the day. Uh, And this isn't something that I've, I've validated thoroughly in, you know, in deep research, but it seems pretty interesting to observe that there's more, more life active when the sun is out, generally speaking, and more complex life, including humans, that's active during the day under the power of the sun. So what I'm getting at is that when you have a nocturnal animal, they have sort of less as a one of one, let's say doctor I, I learned from in this field uses the term quantum yield. So there's theoretically more quantum yield, meaning more energy available in the environment for an organism that's awake during the day versus at night, there's still energy, there's still infrared beaming off of everything because the, the earth absorbs infrared at during the day and then slowly re-emits it. So you could use that energy. There's the energy of the earth, like the uh, the Schumann resonance, there's magnetic field, this sort of prana we've been speaking about, which again, I'm that, since that's an Eastern concept, I'm still not exactly sure what that corresponds to in Western research, but it's, it's definitely a, a thing. Um, and then of course, these nocturnal animals can live off of food, which is also stored energy from the sun. But again, there's less because when the sun's out, there's just so much energy present, so much so that a lot of researchers uh, hypothesize that not a lot but several researchers who i've i've followed uh th- have posited the idea that we live on as much as two-thirds sort of cosmic and resources so sunlight uh, let's say the earth's magnetic energy prana and that food just makes up at most 20 30 of you know a third of our energy so anyway these organisms that could adapt would have higher chances of survival well it would make sense that for us to be able to um, adapt to the changes we would need something to help us do that something to send the signal right and if you just were born with a circadian rhythm from your mother and it just was set 24 hours a day for your entire life, you wouldn't really have any flexibility to adapt to changes in seasonal variations. For example, even on the equator or in the tropics, like where I am now in Costa Rica, there's not a ton of variation, like it's pretty much 12 light, 12 dark the whole year, but there's still some variation and it's pretty important that, that you're synced up with the sun. So anyway. The point is that we develop these living these systems. All living organisms have them. These circadian rhythms they're called, which are internal clocks or cycles that align with the external environment. And they're called circadian. Uh, "Circa" in Latin means approximately. "Dies" means a day. So "circa dies" or circadian means approximately one day rhythm. Uh, and the reason for that is because when they discovered these rhythms they they saw oh wow these actually follow just about the length of a 24 hour cycle so it becomes pretty obvious like okay they 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 don't just exist for no reason or for some independent reason from the fact that the the earth follows a daily cycle no they're actually obviously meant to keep us in sync with that and the the stimulus especially in humans but in in other animals as well this is it's well studied in humans is blue light so the blue component of light from the sun especially 479 nanometers is the peak sensitivity of these cells that were discovered in our eye that basically control our body's circadian rhythm so there's two there's three types of photoreceptors that are known in the eye there's probably more actually but the three primary types of photoreceptor cells are rods which are responsible for the majority of our photoreceptors they, they something like something like 95 percent of our photoreceptors are rods and they operate in low light so they have a pigment called or i should say a photoreceptor called rhodopsin in them and they're really important for low light detection which is you could argue the most important for survival because when you're when it's low light it's the most let's say threatening um, you know if you can't see what's around you then there's cones and cones are responsible for uh, high definition color vision that we have during the day. And I experienced a lot of that today. I was surfing for two hours this morning, looking back at the beach and the the green. And it was just like really like high, high, high definition. Like no television could even ever come, not ever, but could come close right now, at least um, to that experience. And then the third that was discovered in the nineties was a really big breakthrough. Is called intrinsic photo intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells, so or IPRGCs or retinal ganglion cells for short. It's not as kind of short as rods and cones, right? But basically, this has a pigment called melanopsin, which was uh, it's sort of a it was a shock to the scientists because it's a pigment that's fr- uh, found, I believe, in frog skins, in amphib- amphibian skins, and so on. And so these researchers were shocked that we have the same pigment in our eyes. But actually, it's it's a it's particularly sensitive to blue light, and these retinal ganglion cells they wire they don't wire uh, in the same way that these other cells do straight to the visual cortex in the brain. They actually wire straight to what's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus in the hypothalamus, which is the the hypothalamus is sort of the master regulator of the body within the brain of hormones and all these types of things. And this part of the hypothalamus is the master circadian timekeeper it's been clearly identified as that so it's like the master clock that works with syncing all these other clocks so it's a bit of a, a quite a quite the detailed answer here but i wanted to give you guys you know the full the full answer so blue light is what controls that rhythm and so if we have blue light at night it actually tricks the brain we could say into thinking it's still day and so it disrupts this rhythm and so the way we can see that Because the rhythm is just a concept that we've created, right? I mean, it exists, but like it exists in many different forms. Like, there's many different sort of uh, pieces in the body that are that where you can see this rhythm in action, like in the the rhythm of melatonin, the rhythm of cortisol, the rhythm of other hormones and neurotransmitters. So our circadian rhythm is disrupted and one way we see this if we have blue light at night is a delay in the natural secretion of melatonin this really important hormone for sleep and repair and that creates you know it seems so simple but like just by having this blue and this shocked me when i first learned about it in fact i've sort of taken it for granted more and more because it's like my business it seems like it's so obvious but just having like a, if you took a, a bright white light and shined it in your eyes or a blue light, either one, white light contains blue generally. Um, yeah, it always does unless it's a really warm white light, in which case it might have very little blue, but it'll still usually have some. So white light you shine into your eye. and just having that on the eye on the retina will actually again activate these hormonal systems in the body, increase the production of cortisol naturally reduce the secretion of melatonin because you don't want to be falling asleep when it's the middle of the day. That wouldn't really be beneficial for uh, survival. It wouldn't really be beneficial for functioning and so on. So just by doing that, though, uh, chronically over time at night, it may seem really subtle and small, but it disrupts sleep, especially now that we have these screen devices that we stare directly into. Like one, it's one thing with ambient lighting, but screens, it's like direct light into the eye. Right. So that throws off the body's sleep and repair, not only the secretion of melatonin, but melatonin is what leads us into sleep. Right. So we disrupt melatonin, we disrupt sleep and repair. Then we disrupt, uh, yeah, repair. So we disrupt sleep, we disrupt cellular regeneration, which is, scavenging these free radical molecules, uh, which are produced as a natural byproduct of our metabolism. So our metabolism is like a fire and doesn't always burn 100% clean. So fire sometimes have smoke and our metabolism also has some smoke. It's called reactive oxygen species, and they're important signaling molecules. So the idea of just constantly overdosing on antioxidants isn't actually necessarily a good idea. So contrary to kind of this mainstream uh, perspective, like just eat all the berries you possibly can and take all the antioxidant supplements. But so anyway, uh, if we don't have enough melatonin, our body isn't necessarily getting, and this is just based on the research, right? This is in my opinion or my theory, uh, this is very, very well established. If we don't have enough enough melatonin, we don't do enough cellular repair. So for athletes, it's important because they won't repair as much. For anybody who has to use their brain for anything, it's mm-hmm. important because the brain is one of the, it's the highest energy consuming organ. And so it takes so much energy. Uh, it uses a lot of energy. It also so it produces a lot of energy and therefore creates reactive oxygen species. And we need melatonin to repair our brain. We need to repair our eyes. We need So a lot of people have vision problems and require glasses to see and that's sort of one I'd say very uh, likely reason for that is because the eye the retina has such a high it's the highest oxygen consuming tissue meaning it's the highest energy consuming tissue in the body so one of the first places I would at least expect us to see d- the results of the modern artificial light-based world and lack of sun in the body would be in the retina and surely enough like 50 plus percent of the population requires glasses just to see and think about from an evolutionary standpoint that would have been very disadvantageous if you couldn't see what's around you like you wouldn't survive so there's no way that those genes it's not a genetic thing needing glasses it's epigenetic there's no way those genes would have made it at all through evolution so it's it's in and, and the, the concept that just came up i won't go into it right now but the idea of epigenetics versus genetics is something we should talk about um so anyway That's the story about Blue Light, guys. Thanks for asking. Hey, everyone. Just interrupting the episode to share a bit about our sponsors.
0: We are thankful to be partnered with Caldera Lab. They are an incredible skincare company that creates high-performance men's skincare products. The regimen leads off their product lineup. It's a a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Caldera Lab knows the skincare world is heavily female-driven and has long been the wild, wild west for men, and that's why they're making the solution simple. The regimen includes three products, and I love these products. The Clean Slate, the base layer, and the good. The Clean Slate starts and ends your day. It's face wash that leaves all types of skin feeling refreshed. The base layer is your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin and jumpstart your day full of confidence. And I can tell you, this is my favorite thing. It feels so good on your face. It feels thick and it absorbs well and it moisturizes and it keeps you feeling fresh all day. Finally, the good is your go-to multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother, as well as helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. Every drop of this serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare, made with only top tier ingredients. And in clinical trials have found 94% of men's skin showed an overall younger looking appearance after using it. And I can tell you, I get compliments all the time. People are saying, yeah, you're looking great. Your face looks great. Your skin looks great. It's one minute morning routine, one minute at night. That's all it takes to help reduce your wrinkles, fine lines, and those signs of aging, and just to help you feel and look your best. And for you, our good listeners, you get 20% off. Use the code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com right now and get 20% off. That's MOREGOOD at calderalab.com to get 20% off. All right. Well, if you're a longtime listener, you might know that we've been drinking AG1 for about two years now. When we first started drinking AG1, I really noticed right away, I could feel a difference in my health, my energy, my mood, just even if it's the psychological factor of doing something that you know is good for you, but let alone those physical factors of just more energy. I honestly noticed my my fingernails and hair seemed to grow faster. I just felt good. My gut health improved my overall energy. I found I wasn't wanting, you know, coffee or any kind of uh, energy support. I just felt good. And not only does it do that, but AG1 really replaces all of those vitamins and multivitamins and many, many pill bottles and things that you had in your supplement cupboard. It's one scoop of this incredible product. Put it in some water and drink it and you know that you're getting prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes for support, magnesium, B vitamins for energy, adaptogens to balance your body's stress, and vitamin C and zinc to help support our immunity, which is important in this fall season. I honestly recommend AG1 to all my friends and family because it is so good because of the research behind it, that it's certified for sport. It's formulated based on the best science and maintains such high quality standards. So honestly, we love it. We drink it every day. It's part of our morning routine, those healthy foundational habits that just help you level up your experience as a human being. So listen, AG1... Is the supplement that i trust to provide and support my body with what it needs every day and that's why they've been a partner with us for so long so if you want to take ownership over your health it starts with ag1 try ag1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin d3 k2 and five free ag1 travel packs go to drinkag ag1.com more good that's drinkag ag1.com more good check it out friends all right back to the episode Yeah, I think it's so, I think it's so important. And I mean, thank you for that. Like that's just like a wildly informative piece of information that, you know, for some people might be like, oh, that's a lot to take in. But I think that it shows the importance of something that we have maybe completely overlooked where we all, you know, have these devices in our hands like far too often and we're looking at them and most people, you know, at the end of the day, they wind down so they think by like staring at their phone while watching tv in all of this artificial light and then go to bed and can't figure out like why am i an insomniac and then the solution is often take something to help me sleep so you introduce some other substance or, or dose yourself with melatonin or whatever it might be and i think that it's really important for people to start to understand like there's things that you can do that you should be doing that we all should be doing from the moment we wake up Until, you know, the sun begins to set wherever we are, whatever hemisphere time of year that we can do to really enhance our body's ability to rest and repair and to heal and all of the things that are are necessary to like be the best and most optimized versions of ourselves. So I think it is like super important for people to know the story of like why it's not just like blue light is bad don't look at your phone cuz people are like well whatever but then when you start to understand like the the biology and the physiology behind how it affects us it's really important in terms of like empowering people to make a decision that's like going to help them optimize themselves i agree yeah i agree yeah i know i've gotten my kids on it they you know in the evening if they're going to like do something on the screen or like watch a show i'm like put on your glasses like you need this cuz my one daughter has a hard time falling asleep and I'm like, this is why like you're, you know, you're at school, you use your iPad, you come home, you want to like play an app or talk to your friend on FaceTime or whatever. And it's, that's good. Those are good things that we have, but like not at the cost of, you know, laying in bed or not feeling like you can sleep. And so trying to introduce some of those practices is, you know, making normalizing it, at least for my kids right away and myself. But yeah, super yeah. interesting. If I,
2: if I may add, so regarding um, people not really getting it. Like, it, it's, it makes sense in one way, the way that it's currently taught. You know, oh, blue light's bad. I, I appreciate people like Huberman, for example. Maybe you've heard of Andrew Huberman because he's obviously he's credentialed, uh, which causes people to listen. But he also, you know, focuses on the research, focuses on the science, and he's got to be the number one most mm, popular voice, let's say, speaking about this subject now. And, and I'm really grateful for that. And he's super open-minded. He just did a podcast with a friend of mine, Rick Rubin, this music producer, and Dr. Jack Cruz, who's uh, somebody I learned a lot from in this field, who put, to his credit, the majority, I would say, of this research together, even on which my, my company is based. Um, just, he didn't necessarily do his own studies. It was putting together these disparate areas of science that now people like myself and many others, uh, some folks you mentioned before we press record, uh, also kind of got to learn from and can now kind of take and run with and experiment with and 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 try to go deeper. Like what I did was I went to these different uh, researchers themselves directly to go and learn, w- whether through books or actually in person to go and try to validate the information and, and see how we could kind of go further and deeper, let's say, or make it practical for people in different ways, which we're doing with, with the company, with the products we make. Um, but anyway, so I can see how somebody might think oh this doesn't make sense it's just blue light how could it affect me but when you understand that we are like clock we are our, our biology actually is like a, a fine timepiece but it isn't one that you just um you know, like an automatic watch that just runs itself or runs on a battery or something like that. It's actually one that you have to wind up every day, essentially, and you wind it up with exposure to morning light. I think that's a really great analogy. I just came up with that on the spot, actually. But uh, to help people understand, like, you know, some watches, old school watches, you have to wind them. Others just use the motion of your wrists. Uh, Obviously, again, there's modern smart watches. You have to charge them. That would be kind of akin to getting out in, in nature to charge up every morning. Uh, but but really, we need to reset our clock every day, ideally, otherwise it drifts. So there are studies of people in caves uh, who, you know, to see how it affects our circadian rhythm. I think there's something like an hour or 50 minutes of drift every day. I, the number I actually do not have correct. It could be much less, but over a period the, the rhythm does drift forward. Um, substantially so that they could be on a the complete opposite just by being in a dark cave for a certain period of time. now interestingly enough, if you take somebody and you have them you take kids and you bring them hiking in nature, their circadian rhythms actually line up and they'll wake up earlier just because of the light coming up and so on. So I think it's important that people understand this this idea that we are like a timepiece because essentially, it's not just this thing that's like oh you should eat healthy foods and vegetables it's like a should or you should go out and exercise and and there are reasons to do all of those things obviously but it's another one where not that anybody should do anything that's not i'm not in the business of telling people what they should and shouldn't do but um that there's a lot of evidence behind this and that it's a super easy way actually to have a really big impact for your health like uh getting out and getting exposed to 10 to 15 minutes of morning sunlight every day and then protecting or avoiding or mitigating artificial light exposure when you are exposed to it both during the day which we can speak about why that's relevant and in the evening in particular those are simple things anybody can do to have a pretty pretty big impact on their health
1: Mm. Can, can we kind of get a little more into into those benefits like i think um for so long, uh, media um, has kind of villainized sunlight as this dangerous thing. So, you know, we're taught put our sunglasses on, put our sunscreen on, put our, you know, hide from the sun because you don't want to get sunburned. You don't want to get skin damage. Um, just kind of all of these scary, dangerous things that the sun can do to us. But when you kind of flip that, you um, and we learn how to sunbathe properly, have our sun like a meal, like a snack through the day, um, and how that that we're a human battery and we're we're charged by the sun. Um, can you kind of can we kind of dive into a bit of the the benefits of sunlight for ourselves and how to have an appropriate relationship with that sunlight so that it is charging us versus harming us?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there there are reasons why excess sun exposure can be harmful actually so at one point when I first learned about this information I was let's say just sort of sponging everything up and just really uh really sold that the sun is like the greatest thing ever the source of life that we actually you know couldn't necessarily overdo it obviously you can sunburn but shy of that you know you just get more and more and more and i took that to the extreme and i did overdo it i I definitely i burnt myself way too frequently uh and overdid sun exposure like when i really didn't feel like i needed more sun my body was saying no i would like almost keep myself in the sun thinking it would somehow benefit me and i think that's really the wrong approach i'm sure it's the wrong approach so it's really important that people understand that i'm not telling anybody to go out and like cook themselves um unreasonably. Going out and getting some sunlight in a really healthy way uh, and listening to what the body is saying is, is a good idea, I believe. But to go out and overdose, I think is not a good idea, just to be really clear. So it's not like more is better. Um, so yeah, as far as the origin of the sun causing skin cancer, there's sort of varying accounts and I, something I'm, I'm actually you know, regularly looking into more and more. Uh, especially lately, I've been so focused on my on my business actually that um, I've I haven't done as much of the digging as I like to normally. So anyway, basically though, there was there was a sort of sunbathing craze that went on in the twenties or so in the United States and you know the West uh, that led. It, it was founded partially on this discovery that sun could heal a lot of diseases so there were these doctors in the swiss alps giving people sun bath treatments called heliotherapy and they were in a very intelligent and targeted way treating a lot of disorders with sunlight exposure very very targeted like to the schedule for somebody who's really pale and would react poorly to sunlight of which there are many people then and, and there are today Um, was to take them on their bed roll them out into the sun so just their feet were in the Sun for five minutes and then they would go back into the shade and then they would roll them in so that their feet were in the Sun for five minutes and then they'd roll them out further so that their lower legs below the knees were in the sun for five minutes so the feet in total would have ten minutes and then the lower leg would have five and then they'd repeat 5 on the feet, five on the lower leg. So 10 on the feet and then five on the upper leg. And so that would be then 15 on the feet, 10 on the lower leg. And that was the schedule that they would use to actually slowly build up exposure. Then the lower torso, the upper torso, then the head. And so by the end of that, I think one, two, three, four, five, neck, head, six, seven, so like seven stages so the end the feet would have 35 minutes of exposure and the head would have five minutes and they could actually get even the most resistant cases to sort of accept the sun and start to tan and yeah they could heal all sorts of they were able to treat so many different conditions like wounds and severe infections uh people with just sort of depression uh you know all sorts of different disorders they were able to treat these these clinicians, these doctors, in particular, one named Auguste Rollier in the Swiss Alps in the 20s, the early 1900s, I should say. And so I'm ima- I am imagine, although I'm not 100% sure that this craze in the United States of sunbathing was kind of based on this. And just people, uh, there was also sort of a bit of a liberation of you know, people were kind of more free with their bodies it was a time when people could go to the beach and kind of have a bi- women had sort of like, not bikinis like they do today, but you know, something more, let's say free than it wasn't in, in prior times. And so there were some researchers who posited, gee, well, pe- some people get skin cancer, maybe it has to do with the sun. And th- there were some studies that showed that, you know, ex- excess exposure to ultraviolet radiation could cause skin cancer. And so there was this sort of conclusion that the sun is the cause of skin cancer. And then of course the whole industry was built up around, you know, dermatology around uh, sunscreen, sunglasses, and all this protection. And so I'm not saying that there's no truth in that. I've actually come to a much more moderate stance, especially working with one of the top experts in the world who, who sort of shifted my previously really enthusiastic perspective about the sun and that there's never too much to a more cautious perspective, especially when I'm the one telling people that it's okay to go out and sunbathe not just saying, you know, carte blanche, do whatever you want, but actually people should be aware that just like anything else, you can overdo it. Uh, That being said, if we go back to what I was sharing before and understand that the sun is effectively the primary energy source for life on earth. And therefore it's also, it's a primary energy source that drove the evolution of biological organisms and still is responsible for powering a, a large majority of the functions in our body, today to say that the sun is, is, is bad for us fundamentally is just wrong, Mm. like dead wrong. So, uh, and that's where a lot of the dermatology industry is like, you should just always put on SPF when you go outside. And so there are actually studies that have been done in the recent decades. Uh, there was a sort of meta, I should say it was a long-term study looking at all sorts of different lifestyle factors in these Swedish women, a large group of Swedish women over several decades of their life. And in the end, of all the data they analyzed, they found that one of the main factors that increased risk of death from all causes, which is called all-cause mortality in scientific research, was avoidance of sun exposure. So the group that Actively avoided sun had something like double the all-cause mortality rate than the group that actively sought out the sun, and the group that was just kind of in the middle was somewhere in the middle of those numbers. The group that didn't either actively seek out the sun but also didn't actively avoid it, and so that's a pretty shocking finding, especially in a very, a very statistically significant. So in statistics and in research, they do a lot to make sure they control for, uh, you know, different variables and they don't want any false conclusions just based on a little bit of data so there's all these sort of checks and balances in statistics you know everybody studies this in high school typically everybody studies this in high school to understand whether something's statistically significant and this research was was very statistically significant they even concluded that avoiding sun exposure and some you know some people have quoted this study sort of a little bit further than this uh, people I, I've studied from, but but essentially what the researchers concluded is that avoiding sunlight exposure is a health risk that's on the magnitude of smoking cigarettes. Mm. Right, so we we could we could say that um, if we if we overdid it, which I, isn't what I want to do, but that avoiding sun is as bad as smoking cigarettes. Now I, I'm not going to go that far because that's not what the researchers concluded, but it's there's a, a certain magnitude there. But I, I would, now taking the study aside, based on everything I've I've researched now, I would, again, not just sort of drawing that study beyond what the researchers said themselves, but now taking everything I've learned, I would actually claim that avoiding sun is is as detrimental, potentially more detrimental than smoking cigarettes. And the reason for that, for overall health, and the reason is that it is so fundamental to our wellness and to our biology. I'm not, in, I don't want to ever give anybody the idea that it's a good idea to smoke cigarettes. But what I will say, in fact, I think it's a pretty bad idea. However, there are people who have smoked cigarettes their entire life and lived relatively healthy and vital lives. Now, again, I really don't want to give anyone the feeling, oh, that I could smoke cigarettes. And if I go in the sun or live a healthy lifestyle, otherwise I'll be fine. It's probably not a good idea, especially in the modern world where there's so much against us. But that being said, there's people, whether it's smoking cigarettes or drinking a lot of alcohol or other things where people have still lived, you could argue pretty long, healthy, and even happy lives. Maybe they wouldn't have reached, they didn't reach their full potential, but nonetheless. And the question would be, well, how did they do that? Like how? And what I've come to understand is that there's the sort of innate resilience in the body. We have this sort of resilience to us, the stability to detoxify from toxins, the ability to heal, right? And that so, when we, what I'm getting at is when we avoid the sun, we actually sort of pull the rug out from under our body's ability to be resilient and to heal. And because it's, it's so foundational to so many cellular processes, energy production, healing, restoration, etc. And so if again, if we if we avoid sun, people have to realize like we're we're taking away that ability to heal to be resilient against all the other chemicals and toxins and things in our environment. So I'm not saying anybody should smoke cigarettes or drink mm-hmm. alcohol, I would advise against that. But we should definitely be aware of how important light and sunlight in particular is for our biology and and have adequate exposure. So you asked about light in general, the solar relationship, I think that's a really good foundation for people to have. As far as like actual tips, uh, how to relate to the sun and expose ourselves, we can get into that. But I want to leave it to you guys to steer from here.
0: Well, I, I think that's really important for us to remember. And, and a couple of things that stood out to me like while you were saying that just to even connect it back to like, you know, the Peace. blue light conversation is like the uh, the built in design that we have, which is our circadian rhythm and that rest and, you know, wakefulness times connects us to the earth, the planet, the sun. It, it reminds us that we're not separate from that but that we belong here like we're part of this thing and it all works together for like the benefit of life everywhere. And so to to remove ourselves from that vital source from the sun and hide from it, you know, always seek shade, always cover up, sunglasses, sunblock, all of these things to to protect ourselves, we might actually be doing the very opposite thing. And I think that intuitively, like most people feel like they we love the sun. We're happier when it's sunny we you know we like to be out in it we like to feel warm regardless of whether or not you would put on sunscreen or whatever it's like a beautiful summer day everybody's like yes sign me up that's the best thing ever and you know i'm just wondering if, if you've seen any research matt on this idea of you know the sun being harmful to our bodies because of the ultraviolet rays and has there been like uh you know, not like a a negative evolutionary process where we've affected, we know like greenhouse gases and things that we've produced as part of our, our, you know, modern lifestyle has affected the ozone layer, which again is part of that natural built-in protection from the sun's UV rays. So is there some sort of correlation between, you know, sun exposure becoming harmful, not because the sun is inherently harmful, but because of the way we've affected our planet's kind of homeostasis and balance, and we've affected that built-in natural sunscreen, so to speak, of of, uh, the ozone layer, and that that's what has made sun exposure more dangerous for people.
2: Yeah, so there definitely has been human impacts on the atmosphere, uh, for sure. Um, There was some serious issues, as far as I understand, in the sort of southern hemisphere near Australia in the ozone layer, and that's something people speak about. And those are, based on what I'm familiar with, those issues are getting significantly better as the emission of certain chemicals has become much more regulated. It's not to say that everything is is totally perfect, but um, yeah, those I do believe those issues are improving. Now there's obviously all sorts of other forms of pollution that are, you know, occurring constantly from all the different industries we have and how those are affecting the atmosphere, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, What I would say is that, if anything, this strengthens the argument to be moderate and cautious with our sun exposure and to be intelligent, but again, considering that it is our lifeblood, a sort of critical fuel source for our life, uh, a great way that i would for me frame that your question or or turn it around is to ask if well since the air is polluted should we stop breathing right just tell me exactly yeah it just
0: i mean i just think it's interesting you know if if we were to wind back the clock like 300 years ago 400 years ago and or even further it and look at how people could just last outside in the sun and there wasn't sunscreen. There wasn't, you know, like all of these big indoor shelters that we could go spend our days in or nine to five work life kind of thing where we're inside for the most of the day. Like if people were hot, you would just go in the shade or, you know, go under the tree or whatever. But like we were outside most of the time and probably there wasn't the same amount of, you know, skin cancer or these things that we could say attributed to the sun because, we were in a more natural state. The planet was protecting us from the harmful exposure to UV rays. And people, like you said, intuitively, I think we know when we've had enough sun and we can tap out and go sit under the shade or go inside or put on a shirt or something. But, you know, I'm just wondering, like, it would be be interesting. And I don't think there's an answer because we don't have the data from all those years ago. But as like a thought experiment, you know, 300 years ago, people would just kind of be in the sun and probably work up their natural tan and natural base and just be circadian and live in those rhythms and so our modern lifestyle has contributed in a lot of ways to our dis-ease or our unhealth and we've attributed that state to the sun saying oh it's bad for you and i think it's important yeah. to flip that script
2: yeah it's clear that some you know skin cancer rates have been increasing and the rates of you know, ocular issues that they say are caused by sunlight are increasing but people have been getting less sunlight so for me again i don't even spend a lot of time trying to you know from a to be honest from a really deep scientific perspective trying to argue this point point. one because i'm not particularly interested in trying to convince people who you know are dead set in that they believe that they are right and they know how everything works um, but but more importantly if, if if you look at it at a simple level, why would the rates of these disorders be increasing steadily and and rapidly, when everybody's getting less sun in general, yeah. you know, in a 90% of the average American of, of the average Americans time is spent indoors. And so yeah. these issues should be gone, actually, in fact, uh, theoretically, if, if the sun were the primary cause now we could say that when people are indoors, most of the time, and then they go out and cook themselves, that Increases the risk of having these issues, and I would say, yeah, that's that's one significant contributor to skin cancer and all these you know related issues, uh, because people go out like a weekend warrior and they're drinking a ton, and so yeah, they, they're more prone to burning, and then they're wearing sunglasses, which turn off the body's natural response that there's too much light, it's too bright, and therefore they'll go inside or go in the shade or you know yeah cover themselves. But uh, we turn sort of disable or reduce that reaction significantly so that that's one thing. And then I wouldn't, you know, I personally wouldn't even go as far as saying the planet's protecting us less now from the sun, although because maybe again, maybe I'm not sure if anyone really knows this, somebody might, but uh, and I'd love if anybody knows anyone who does and send it my way. But um, I'm I'm personally fairly skeptical of a lot of the climate science that's that's espoused today. Uh, I I believe there's much more of a political agenda behind a lot of it than a real human-centric interest, especially seeing that if they really cared about humans, they wouldn't be replacing all of the incandescent lamps with LEDs and banning the incandescents, because basically what we've done is created an acute disease state by doing that. And so if the idea is to protect Earth, save the planet, quote-unquote, by reducing carbon emissions and, uh, and you know, reducing pollution and all these things, which I'm all for. Like, I, I don't want my kids to grow up in a world that's toxic and the ocean's full of plastics and all this. But, but the way that it's being done, uh, you know, if, if it's about ultimately making it because the Earth's not going anywhere, like just breaking news, it's not it's not going anywhere. Nobody, we, we couldn't light off a hundred nuclear bombs and move the Earth out of its axis like a, a tenth of a percent. You know, just, we can't, we can't really damage the earth mm-hmm. uh, in, in the sense that it's going to go anywhere, right? We could just make it in, uninhabitable for humans and other living organisms that currently exist, but new ones, guess what, would still crop up and be adapted to the new environment almost for sure. So just like the extinction of the dinosaurs. So point is the earth isn't going anywhere and life on earth probably isn't going anywhere as well. And so the only thing i could see as the basis for this argument you know it is that we should be protecting you know the the environmental you guys know what i'm referring to of course so does the listener is to make keep the earth habitable for humans in particular and other other existing animals um but yet and so presumably so that we can live and prosper right so but then what we're doing is we're literally at the moment replacing all of the lights that we live under with lights that are toxic effectively for living organisms and we're, they, we've, they've effectively in the European Union and the United States, they've set energy restrictions on lighting, which effectively ban incandescent bulbs because no incandescent bulbs can meet those energy requirements because they release a lot of energy in the form of infrared, near infrared light, which is critical for the health of our cells. And it's a huge, it's 40 plus percent of all sunlight constantly is near infrared light. And so we've banned that effectively. The governments have banned that from our general lighting. So it's the, the number one photobiologist in the world, Dr. Alexander Wunsch, that I'm aware of, at least, as far as somebody who's really familiar with this research, the history of light, the science of light, and why it's relevant for our health. There's really not many others who are at this, this doctor's level, and we work with him. He's our chief scientific officer at my company, Raw as of as of relatively recently and, and we're working together on some really cool product development stuff um sort of we keep it a little bit low-key because we you know we're not interested in talking we'd rather do
0: exactly yeah
1: just kind of summarizing some of that like i think like we can take things to extreme like understanding that like you know spinach or kale are good it doesn't mean that we should eat 24 hours of of kale or spinach just like the sunlight like i try to approach it like having it like a meal, having it like a snack, like having it in moderation. So like, I'm not going to sit out there and eat ice cream for 24 hours, just like I wouldn't sit in the sunlight for 24 hours. But kind of like shifting to that, that idea that we kind of touched on at the beginning, the light-based diet, like understanding, this was a big light bulb for me, um, understanding electrons and protons and understanding that when we harvest produce fresh from from the the vine, fresh from the earth, that it holds an electric charge for for sixty hours, so we're having a different relationship with that with that food than we would if we kind of bought some produce that was you know shipped from halfway across the the planet and had kind of been in in cargo for you know a month or whatever to get there. So uh, maybe we can kind of shift and and talk about um, you know we talked we called it a light based diet. You you've talked you know, the light diet, Uh, but maybe we can kind of get into the mitochondrial diet or kind of some of the teachings that you've had um, from some of your friends in the Ayurvedic space, uh, understanding um, the role that light plays, but also kind of where you are in your own kind of personal evolution, that relationship to mitochondrial health, Ayurvedic health, and where that kind of resonates with you today. I know this is always an evolution. We're always learning more. And kind of applying that, trying things out for ourselves, but just out of curiosity where that sits with you uh, in the here and now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I recalled quickly where I was going. I'll just mention regarding Dr. Wunsch, this researcher. So he, uh, just back for a second and I have the question pinned regarding (laughs) artificial light. So it's been, he said to me, it's effectively been made illegal to have healthy lighting it is effectively illegal right now because you cannot have light that pr- r- uh, produces enough near infrared as our systems are adapted to and required to function optimally so it has been made illegal to live under healthy light and it's very significant um, so when we talk about the sun being this harmful supposedly harmful force um, you know and that we're we were getting into the i was kind of getting on a tangent regarding climate discussion like we're we're actually directly harming ourselves directly affecting biology so so yeah we should take care of the environment and the planet and minimize pollution and you know regulate the industries that would otherwise just you know really create like i want to have children i don't have a lot of children i want to have them live in a healthy world right so but we we don't want to have a world where it's full of, of toxins, but if we're actively hurting ourselves right now through immediate things that we're doing, we should also look at that, right? That's kind of the idea. And that, that to say that the sun is the bad guy when it again is still the, the life giver. Uh, and there there are places like I wouldn't recommend living in most major cities personally based on the pollution and these types of things. But um, you know, the sun is still good. And I'm in Costa Rica. There's so many places around the world where you could still get good light. One other thing that's kind of disappointing is the geoengineering uh, that you guys may be familiar with. Some people call it chemtrails. These, uh, these, This basically spray of these. I don't actually know a lot about it, to be honest, but as I have friends who are deep in this world, there's some metals and things, and it's apparently part of a climate engineering project to basically reduce global warming or, or climate change, as they call it. And uh, the... I I was just walking on this uh, pilgrimage path in Spain called the Camino de Santiago last month. For a month, I walked about 500 miles across northern Spain, and there was constant spraying, and it made me so disappointed because it's such a beautiful landscape and countryside, and I was thinking, some people think that that's just a conspiracy and it's just there's no basis for it and people actually will argue that those are natural clouds i'm like dude there's four of them they're all parallel we just saw planes pass over and spray these and when you see a commercial airliner it doesn't leave these trails behind it they have maybe a little bit of some kind of particulate for a little bit but then it just disappears instantly with any commercial jet there's never ever a trail like that these are specifically sprayed they expand out and they make the sky hazy anyway uh, <laughs> these things change the sun and I wouldn't be able to speak in the same way I, I can now about light in those contexts. Cause I don't know how that affects the light. Personally, I feel best sunbathing on a clear blue sky day. And when it's hazy, I generally won't even sunbathe. I wait for a clear blue sky day. Uh, and I'll be out in the sun if it's hazy, but I won't generally just lay out anyway. So regarding, um, I, yeah, if you guys have any thoughts, feel free to share. Yeah. Otherwise uh, we'll jump into Ayurveda. No,
0: that's, uh, that's so interesting. I've, I've done a little bit of like reading and hearing about like the, the chemtrails and, and it's so interesting that you, you mentioned that and that you would even avoid sun, but equally. So the thing, the thing that, uh, perked my interest is, uh, the Camino that's, uh, that's like a life goal to be able to do that. So I, I'm a little bit uh, jealous and in awe and inspired to, to make sure that I get that off my bucket list, but that's, uh, a cool one. So, I mean, maybe yeah, it's, well, we can chat about it. Sure. Yeah. I know. I know. Uh, you know, there's more, there's more that we want to talk about than, <laughs> than what we have time for today, for sure. But maybe part of, um, part of that conversation is touching on, you know, some of the lessons we've learned, whether it's tying to like how we consume light and, and take it in, in terms of that light diet, like what Zach was saying, but equally so, I mean, like the the spiritual implications of the sun and light and kind of connecting ourselves, both feeding our, our bodies through like a light diet, but also feeding our souls and nurturing our souls through that connection to source or, you know, the divine light. I mean, it's such a, a illusion. I noticed even on your, on your Instagram, you've got a little tagline there from the sermon on the Mount, which is one of my favorite pieces of literature and, and, uh, really a lecture that's ever been given. Um, about the light of the world and so h- however we want to we want to progress from here but i just i love that yeah. i love that you did the, the, the so and- yeah
2: well i'm sure i could tie it together somehow um so i would just say that i've been on sort of a, i've been on a bit of a journey for quite some time now searching for something at the beginning i didn't really know what i was looking for and i didn't really know how I would know if I found it, but I think it's one of those things where you just know that you'll know when you found it. And so I began searching. I felt like many people do, like something was wrong with me. Uh, And then I started trying to label what specifically was wrong with me so that I could try to fix it. So... I had health issues. And so some some minor health issues, gut issues, allergies, headaches. And then I started getting breakouts of acne on my skin. And I started reading about diet, because uh, I thought that maybe somehow, for whatever reason, I thought that I had a damaged gut, because my mother had told me that if you eat a lot of greasy foods, you're going to get acne. Uh, I still haven't gone in and actually tried to understand the logic behind that i know that greasy seed oil foods are definitely not good for you and the body will try to get rid of those toxins and breakouts on the skin could be one way of doing that but anyhow and you know compromising the integrity and the health of these of these cells is something that happens when we eat a really toxic diet anyway i was i was doing a lot of reading trying to figure out everything and the I'll just say one thing it's kind of windy if the internet drops out here I'll try to get back as quick as I can but I've had it happen where it dropped out right at the end of a podcast in fact with Zach with Alec and it just didn't come back but we should be good it's 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 really good but sometimes you know the nature of the jungle is what it is <laughs> anyway if you lose me I'll try to join back and if for some reason I don't we'll continue part 2 but anyhow so basically um I did this reading and I came to diagnose that I definitely had a damaged gut and that I should do the paleo diet the whole 30 and that I should eat more bone broth and that I should, you know, cut out all the p- things that the paleo diet avoids and that that would allow my gut to heal. Nobody ever asked about what the forces that would actually do the healing and they still don't. Anyway, with that being said, I went stricter and stricter when I felt that I still had issues. And I tried the autoimmune paleo diet. And so I come from the world of like lots of meat eating, at least at that time, Uh, I then did the GAPS diet, which is gut and psychology syndrome, which is like all the rage right now, along with the carnivore diet in that paleo world. And everybody thinks it's the be all end all you heal your gut, everybody's obsessed with the gut, like the guts, the, the most important thing in the body, it's important but it's not necessarily the most important thing to focus on in my experience because I was doing that for a long time and continue to struggle. Uh, I I kind of went mm, crazy in, in a sense. I, I just really lost touch with reality being so obsessed about these diets as a 15-year-old, 14, 15-year-old studying this, thinking that I was sick, I, I was, something was wrong with me, and that I had to be perfect about these diets to heal. And so I ended up uh, – yeah, getting into a really tough spot with like basically sort of binge eating because I'd be really strict and then I would kind of feel so restricted that and kind of hate myself in some way and or then I would go and eat all the things that I couldn't. And the nature, the, the flawed philosophy of these diets is that if you restrict these supposedly gut damaging foods long enough, the gut will heal itself. But again, nobody ever asked the question, well, what's responsible for that healing? And could we maybe just focus on that instead? That force that's responsible for healing, the absence of which or the deficiency of which may be the reason you're sick in the first place. That could. What if that was just it, period? It wasn't about needing to cut out all these foods and become a crusader and a religious fanatic about your different diets, which is how I ended up and many people still are anyway. Uh, as you guys are familiar with, I'm sure from the background you shared with me. So anyway, moved on, uh, eventually learned about light. So being the one consistent variable for me was, or I shouldn't say variable because it wasn't variable. The one fixed, (laughs) yeah, it was a fixed variable. So it was a constant, I should say. It wasn't a variable. The constant was extremes. So whether it was extreme paleo, autoimmune, gaps, binge eating, it was a the constant was extremes. Uh, it was then light. So I learned light is a significant factor in health. Uh, and I'm giving all this background for a reason, just so it all it all makes sense. Light is the constant, or I should say, <laughs> light was then the next extreme. Like, oh my gosh, sun. So like bathing, like in crazy in the sun, as I mentioned before, and overdoing it in in many respects, and. Just being so fanatic and religious about the stuff I learned about light and the so-called quantum biology from some of the teachers in the space at the time, uh, I sort of became a, yeah, a fanatic in this in this sense. And I'm, in some respects, I'm glad that the things that I've done, I go all in because I learn a lot. I learn what works and what doesn't work, but also I can see how that tendency to extremes. Create may may be a may have been and be a significant part of that sort of imbalance or disease that I experienced, and that will become clear shortly. Uh, why that? How that fits in? So then I came to this place where I, I took so I took the light to the extreme in the sense, and not necessarily in a bad way, but just I went all in. And it was like, this is the thing this this it wasn't, you know, but at, at each step, I thought what I discovered was the thing paleo, then autoimmune then gaps, right? So sort of like really tunnel vision, myopic focus. Uh, and I see that that's very common today with these types of things. So I then I started a business in the space, of course, making blue light protection eyewear, which I still believe in very much. The research has only gotten much stronger since 2017 when I started the company. Uh, I started traveling in what many would consider an extreme way, just kind of constantly moving uh, since I didn't and even now don't have a super fixed home base. I kind of do, but um, it's it's. Again, I haven't been there in, in just about a year. So how much is it really a home base? Um, I've spent all much more time in many other places. So anyway, it was the travel. And I got to a place by the, I started my business when I finished high school, when I was 18, I just turned 18. It was September of 2017. And then I was uh, around the, pan, just pre the the so-called pandemic in 2020, late 2019, early 2020, I was really struggling uh, internally. And even though I had, you know, physically improved my health, I looked really great, physically was really muscular and strong, eating a ton of meat, so pretty paleo, really on the the, the light diet, as I was thinking about it then, from a sun perspective, and I was feeling really, really, really empty inside, uh, and like miserable. And so the challenge for me was like, what is going on? At one point, I remember thinking like my model can't be complete because if my model, my understanding of the world was complete, then I would be happy. Like if I really, because I thought like many do in these, in these spaces and in these places and times that I had it all figured out and it was all about this or that or the other thing. And so really was confident that I had and but I was miserable. So it's like, well, if you know everything, Matthew, you should figure out happiness too, but it was elusive. And so I still kind of avoided it for a while. And then at some point, point, thankfully I had exposure to some spiritual books like Ram Dass Be Here Now. And I, I had an interest in, in Jesus and the Bible stirred up in particular by Dr. Jordan Peterson and his kind of focus on the Bible as a sort of story of of archetypical truths that apply to human life, Um, not even from a super religious perspective. But for me, I was like, well, who cares? What's the difference? Like if if it works and it's it's practical and there's truths, then I want to know it because I'm looking for the truth. Uh, And so I finally dove into the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza because it just, he had been recommended to me by by a few people and I had kind of been exposed to him and I heard him on some podcasts and I just had this feeling like this guy is, he's just got it. Like he just seems happy, you know, irrespective of the words he was saying, you can feel the energy when somebody's authentic and when they're onto something, it's sort of uh, contagious, I would say. And in fact, I, I was told a story that regarding Gandhi, the, I don't, feel I need to share the whole thing right now. But basically, the summary of which was that a patient was brought to Gandhi with a certain issue, particularly regarding sugar consumption. And it was a a child, actually, the mother was seeking help. And Gandhi basically said, you know, come back, bring your son to me in, in a week or something like that. And Gandhi actually took it upon himself to fast from sugar for that week so that when when he would speak with the child and tell him why it's an issue that his, you know, excess sugar consumption is actually really harming his health, that his words would actually have impact. And according to the ancient yogic science and Ayurvedic science, our words only carry the weight of our true efforts internally and our true actions. So like being a hypocrite never really works. There will always be people who will be deceived by the words, but the true energy that causes people to change is something that has to be cultivated within, and no logical understanding of someone's words can replace that energy that's been cultivated in that person through their own discipline. And and, and people can feel when someone's inauthentic or hypocritical regardless of how really good their words may sound. So anyway, um, this was something that, that I was exposed to that, that was a, a sort of a beautiful idea and I know I shouldn't go into the story because I'll, I'll kind of direct myself in, a, in another way, but so basically Joe Dispenza felt like that. So I actually caught it. <laughs> Sometimes I go in so many tensions. I'm like, am I going to make it back? We <laughs> made it back. <laughs> so it was Joe Dispenza that I felt this authenticity. And so, um, I just went all in, I, I did his online course and for the first time after doing this online course and he explained the, the psychology, the the yeah, basically the psychology, the neuroscience of change and how we create our own reality, how our personality creates our personal reality. In other words, our life and how if we're thinking, acting and feeling the same way, so acting is the same personality, then our life or our personal reality will never change. It'll stay the same. Right. So for me, uh, that transformed everything because I had been living as a victim, I realized, even though I had this sort of this success with my company and this knowledge and I was going on podcasts and talking about why light's so important. I mean, I don't personally love to listen to myself from five years ago, but I still have people say, like, I heard this podcast from Luke's story years ago and it was really inspiring and great. And I, I'm happy that that because I was just all trying my best. Right. And that's all I can just love myself then and kind of bring him closer to me now. As Dr. Joe would put it, but anyway, this information from Joe Dispenza made me realize that I was really acting like a victim and choosing to be miserable from my life uh, because of the things that happened to me. I was really letting the living from sort of outside in, where the outside determined my state, and I would only be happy if I accomplished a certain amount from my work, or if I, if things went the way I wanted, or if I was living or traveling in a place where I felt happy, but if I, if it wasn't, then I would be unhappy or a victim or something rather than from the inside out where you build this wholeness within you. And then it doesn't really matter what happens outside of you. And that's a constant practice. I am mean, by no means a master there, uh, just working on that one. But anyway, so that made sense to me what Joe was sharing. And then I, I started going to some of his week long, uh, advanced retreats that he does these in-person events. And that was absolutely transformative. And I felt at one of these, uh, retreats. And just to be clear, his events are really special, but I don't want to make it sound like everybody has to go to a Joe Dispenza event in order to find what they're looking for, right? There's a million different paths, right? But for me, that was one that happened to resonate. And so I followed it. And so the the the, the call to action may be just to follow what's resonating with people. Uh, and that might be the call to action. Some people might be like, I want to go to Joe Dispenza because I, I've been drawn to him already great if that's the stimulus but but anyway it was really it's really all about it's not about joe it's about and he always says that it's about you it's about going inwards and taking i took time out of my life for the first time in years like i didn't get on my laptop and work and it was i was constantly tempted but i was like no i'm doing this for me and i actually was taking a 2 month vacation from my job for the first time in 4 years like actually taking time off And so I really focused on myself, I went inwards, I allowed myself to start to feel things that I never felt because I'd never sat with myself for more than 10 or 20 minutes in a meditation. Here I was sitting for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 minutes in a meditation. So naturally, certain things come up. And I started to understand the science of opening up a little bit more and surrendering my energy to sort of a greater consciousness. And I felt uh, at one point, I felt so whole and so much love, like some sort of transformative experience without any ayahuasca or anything like that, nothing against it, but uh, just by opening up and surrendering. And I felt like, Oh, my gosh, this is the feeling I was looking for all along, like 100%, not like 80% or I think this is the thing, you know, I I would get it's funny, I would be so belligerent and so confident in things that I didn't even fully feel myself as if to try to convince myself that it was the truth, right, to try to convince others, like to, to reaffirm my own actual Uh, to overcome my own uncertainty or feeling of not feeling confident enough. And you can see that in many leaders of many of these uh, sort of philosophies today that are uh, coming up all over the place. And basically, I felt so whole uh, that and, and Joe talks about this, like when you connect to this energy, this sort of God or the source or the quantum field, whatever the term is, you want to use oneness, pure love. I felt so much love that i just felt like all this time it makes perfect sense all i wanted was to feel whole that's all i wanted i just wanted to feel whole to feel love and that's it and i actually started to realize i believe i could be wrong but that that that's all that everyone wants is to feel whole like to realize our wholeness and it makes sense when you look at ayurveda and yogic science that especially the, the ayurveda is more of the medical side based on yogic science but yogic science in general so that I'm kind of going out on a limb here. I'm not an expert in this field, but I've I've heard enough and read enough to understand that I'm on the right path with this one. That basically that the soul knows eternity, like the soul knows that it comes from eternity and it's sort of craving to reunite with that. But it's kind of letting us go at our own pace to figure out you know, everything we need to figure out in order to realize that and to get back to that. And so I do believe that that is what everyone's searching for. So I had that experience. It was absolutely life-changing for me. And I still didn't fully accept it though. Like I went on back to my life, you know, went back in some respects to business as usual, but but as a different person, slightly different person version of myself, but who knew now something that I couldn't really forget. And Joe says this a lot. Like once you know, you can't really not know. Once you felt that there's more to reality than this dream, as he'll say, that. You know, it's, it's a little hard to go back. So I kind of knew and I, I, I committed, I kept going back to these retreats. And again, not just because of Joe Dispenza, although I love him, he's an amazing person. I've gotten to know him and he's an absolutely authentic as I felt from the beginning, even more, in fact, uh, than I sensed from the beginning. And, but really to go have time for myself. And I found that that particular form of retreat a week out of my life, you know, get me off my laptop. There's enough science. and and lectures and teaching to really remind my intellectual mind that wants to doubt everything, why this is important, and enough practice to actually dive into it. So for me, it works. And I kept going back and I've gone like, nine of these, you know, week long retreats, just not because I need to, but because I want that I want to keep reminding myself, I don't Mm -hmm. want to forget, right. Uh, And then it also requires more than anything for us to for people to do this practice in their own life. But all of this is to say that step by step by step i was opened up to this this awareness a little bit more and then i was recommended by another friend to read the autobiography of a yogi by paramahansa yogananda which i imagine you're familiar with and, and it made sense to me of course that that you know as ad- innovative as dr joe's uh, research and teachings are that this he isn't the first person to do this and he doesn't claim to be there's yogis uh, masters who have taught this ancient wisdom for thousands and thousands of years And so when a friend of mine somebody really successful in the tech world, uh, who started one of the largest social media companies, you guys are very familiar with it, I'm sure, uh, as is everybody listening to this, and he recommended a book to me. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, I got to read this book. It was the autobiography of a yogi, uh, which he mentioned was Steve jobs, favorite book, and he gave it out to uh, all the people at his funeral service. So he had it prepared in their 500 copies given out to everybody. And the message was realize yourself. Right. And so I looked at this and thought, wow, these people have been practicing this ancient wisdom of sort of yoga, which means unity. So reconnecting the soul with the infinite uh, or allowing ourselves to realize that connection that already exists. They've been teaching this for thousands of years and applying it for thousands of years. And so and and as a result, there are these things that there some yogis are capable of, like these sort of supernatural powers, they call them siddhis, that seem crazy to a westerner who's steeped in our way of thinking but actually i was super open to already because i consider myself open minded but once you've read the body electric by robert becker and you understand that we are electromagnetic beings and that's just the beginning of the research Mm -hmm. it really opens the door that there are potentially no limits to what we are capable of and dr joe's sort of brand is called unlimited and i think it has something to do with that anyway that's to say that then I realized at one point the person who had recommended both Dr. Joe to me and Yogananda years before that I just kind of forgot about, although he was somebody I was still in touch with, he's a good friend of mine, an Ayurvedic doctor uh, from, from Russia but lived in India for many years and actually was going to be a monk before the way of the will of the guru and God decided he would serve the world better as a, as an actually practicing doctor and a family man so he actually ended up you know meeting his wife and and having having a child and so on but anyway I've learned I went back to him and thought geez well I've for sure I've been called back to the person who first referred me to to Joe Dispenza and and Yogananda as people to look into to sort of spark my curiosity into these subjects so I went back to him started speaking with him and he started sharing with me that there are ways from a nutritional, and lifestyle standpoint in ancient Ayurvedic medicine, some of which he had shared just the the surface of, just the, just the, the very beginning with me of the daily routine of Ayurveda, which lined up very nicely, by the way, with the things I learned from the Western science about circadian rhythms and light, et cetera. And so anyway, it's a pretty long story, but I started diving into that. And the idea is that there are actually things that they knew for thousands of years that you can use to help the body be in a more receptive state for this consciousness, right? And so that includes veganism. Now I'm not fully vegan, maybe one day, but I'm trying I'm doing things what feels right for me. And I can say that I used to eat about a pound or more of ground beef every day breakfast and lunch. I didn't eat a lot of dinner because I already knew that from a circadian perspective wasn't ideal. But uh, And I've actually lost my interest to eat any uh, red meat, at least at this point, I still love to be to be honest, totally transparent. I love eggs. I love dairy. I love uh, sometimes chicken and and fish and occasionally even have a craving for red meat. But I'm just listening to my body. I think as we uh, meditate and change our consciousness, certain things resonate and certain things don't anymore. Not just about food, but about everything in life, alcohol, certain friends, certain people. So you know, this isn't the time to get deep in all the details of Ayurvedic medicine. But I've been convinced through everything that I've shared that, and (laughs) I think this is actually the best I could have shared. So I'm really glad I did get into this story. So I'm convinced that the Ayurvedic approach to nutrition, uh, which Ayurveda means knowledge about life, that's it, uh, is probably the best way to nourish the body nutritionally but also uh the routine and everything there's a lot more it's not just about what you eat it's also about the timing of when you eat so like and this lines up perfectly with the modern research better to eat breakfast like a, maybe a lighter breakfast and your main meal at lunch when the sun is the strongest and then either skip dinner or have a very light dinner so that your body's really in a fasted state to heal and repair so that you can wake up really early feeling really light um, this this doctor friend of mine, he wakes up every day between two and three in the morning, which might sound ridiculous to people, but like he's not just like a tired all the time. You know, he's he's an Ironman triathlete, extremely fit, training several hours per day, uh, I- I- extremely good health, completely vegan, and the most tan and shredded person I've ever met in my entire life by by a lot actually, mm. um, and not shredded like from lifting weights, but from body weight and training, and that's it doesn't eat even much, doesn't need much food because his body's so efficient. He's sort of like, I call him a monk among men because he was actually going to be a monk. But so he has that, those qualities of somebody who's in his own world. But anyway, it's just undeniable to me now that I've seen it and experienced it, the power of this ancient philosophy. So I'm not telling anybody what they should do or why they should do it. But I've been convinced that there is something, even if I'm not fully practicing it, that specifically regarding being you know vegan, that there is something really powerful. and it's not actually about the name or the title vegetarianism or veganism. It's actually about living more on cosmic energy sources, what I call the light diet. So the light diet, I thought when I came up when, when the name kind of came to me that uh, that it was just about, you know, your, your light diet meaning more sunlight, less blue light. But then as time went on, I realized, well, not only is it about that, yes, getting more natural light, but then when we want to be in a higher consciousness, higher energy state, it actually is better to eat less food. And there's tons of Western research that calorie restriction, 30% calorie restriction increases lifespan by 30% in rodent models. That's unbelievable. Like that, It's almost unbelievable. But so food, according to, to Ayurvedic science, is actually one of the lowest forms of energy we can consume for our body. And it's better to live off the prana, sunlight, for example, right, to train our body to be less dependent, more time fasting, right? We live in a world of massive amounts of excess. And I'm just trying to get to a place where I'm super comfortable with just one meal a day, like lunch, big meal, that's it. Sometimes I still have breakfast, sometimes I still have like a light dinner. But I know how I feel when I go to sleep with a sort of full stomach or even somewhat full. I just don't feel the same. Whereas when I have dialed in my not just my nutrition, but there's so much more in Ayurveda about dialing in your energy state. So, like for example, I'm just kind of going with this for a second. I hope you guys don't mind. But like for example, uh, I learned from from this. His name's Balaramas. I'll just share that. He's not very. He's actually not public at all. He works with really, really high level people. He's politicians, CEOs, like the people who I'm just able to spend time with through him and have introduced him to. It's I'm astounded. Uh, but but there it's it's a sort of resonance, and one day he'll he'll come public. He actually does everything through the blessings of his his masters, actually, which just kind of sounds like a weird thing to say. But when you're in that tradition, like you wait for the blessing, uh, which doesn't even come as a phone call. It's actually something in meditation that's communicated, and that, that sounds woo woo enough for people to hear. But basically, um, so he's shared with me like many things from, and this is anybody can look this up on any Ayurvedic you know website. For example, the nervous system is more fatigued later in the day. So it's not wise to have podcasts late in the day. It's not wise to have important meetings late in the day. It's not even ideal to meet with your friends and people late in the day because the consciousness is lower. Like there are certain types of consciousness that people can see when you meet up with people for late dinner, drinks, you're out late. Like it's a different consciousness than lunch or breakfast. like when i have meetings i try to have everything in the morning or midday or early afternoon right because i know i'm sharper and i know that they're in a better state to receive information so it's like there's so much wisdom and for example i don't i try not to think about anything important late at night i used to do all my journaling about my life my biggest life questions late at night in the evening before falling asleep and that's the worst time and it makes perfect that's why my life was totally out of whack because i was making all my decisions based on fear stress fatigue versus early in the morning when you're the clearest you're the calmest and people can just observe in their life just take one thing from this entire interview don't listen to your mind in the evening because the the nature of the mind according to yogic science is is to deceive us and it takes a lot of practicing of meditation to actually align the mind where it's actually serving us to make it our our servant and not the master uh not to say the mind is bad but anyhow, anyhow so just shifting my focus so that I would do my thinking in the morning when my mind is clearer and calmer was huge. And not believing what my mind was trying to tell me at night, like laying down in bed. I've had times where I lay down at night and I'm f- worrying about whatever, the business, finance, something this, some challenge that. There's always something that could be worried about, right? Like, and I feel so fortunate that i I live such a great, I'm such so blessed in so many ways, and I think many of so many of us are, especially in the Western world, if we really look. And we still find something to spend the majority of our time worrying about, right? But then I'd wake up in the morning and be like, "What was I even thinking about? Like everything's fine, right?" So like simple stuff like this. So it's not Ayurveda is not just about your diet; it's about a way of life that's based on ancient knowledge. And the last thing I'd love to share, just to say, is that and this is something Balarama told me is, is that two, two things, basically one is that, uh, and, and they're one and the same, actually, that people, the, the, the truest truths have already been discovered. It's just that people will sort of discover them, rediscover them and think that they came up with it, but actually they haven't. And in a, in a similar way, I feel so fortunate that my own soul's journey, uh, which involved a lot of, of challenges and a lot of struggling that I had experienced, uh, thankfully i'm grateful for that because it forced me to keep rejecting half-truths or limited understanding whether it was the paleo diet the autoimmune the gaps the, the the exclusive focus on light external light meaning and to continue to search to understand and i feel so grateful that with that i found some people i consider to be true experts true masters whether it's this friend of mine Uh, or Dr. Joe Dispenza, or some of the other experts in the field of light who may not have the consciousness piece completely figured out, but they understand how the light works in the same way that the people who have the consciousness piece totally figured out don't necessarily have the scientific piece totally figured out. And I don't know if anybody will ever have it all figured out. Some may, true, true enlightened masters who have united their consciousness with oneness and they can tap into any information at any time. But uh, my goal then is just to take just to keep learning keep searching find the highest wisdom i can and then bring it back to people in a relatable way so anyway guys <laughs> thank you so much for letting me go through that that was like a quite the uh the share uh, but, uh, you guys may be muted by the way i think you might be
1: super grateful matt um i love uh learning along your alongside with you i feel like um how you process things, how you explore these curiosities. I'm the same. I think we're both the same. Like we go all in on things. And then I think it takes that experience to then be able to take a step back and kind of keep the parts that are important, but um, allow the rest to kind of sift through just like like a, a changing river would be. But I think going all in like you do allows us to have a better comprehension on more things. If we just dabble our toes in lots of things in life, we never find that understanding that you're seeking and exploring, and uh, just wanted to express gratitude for this conversation today, to for for all that you share in the world through raw ap- optics, through the light diet, through just you know your your continuous uh, learnings and teachings in life. So thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. Um, thank you. We have one short question that we close, and it's a short one, so you don't have to go too long. It's like all a good. sentence sentence I'll keep it short
2: I can when I need to
1: (laughs) so I'll let Dean close it out and then uh you know we'll simmer on this conversation for for some time and and we look forward to future conversations and hopefully connecting in person sometime sometime down the road I would love that
2: I would absolutely love that that'd
0: be so good uh even before we started recording I think you you mentioned the name of our podcast which you know uh, Zach and I spent a lot of time together um, having these long conversations and allowing our curiosity and the things we've thrown ourselves into to kind of dominate these conversations and we're like uh, when we decided to start a podcast we didn't know exactly where we were going or what we wanted to call it and then one day we were both out on a run and Zach said I think I got the name for the pod he's like we should call it A Little More Good and I was like oh man that's so perfect like it just resonated I knew right as soon as he said it I was like that's it because it kind of embodied a lot of what our values are and you know what we wanted to see and do and be in the world so we'd love to close by asking uh, our guest what does that phrase or that sentence, like what does that mean to you a little more good?
2: I have to say, first of all, it resonated with me too. I was like, that's just so great, right? It's just so simple. And it's like, you don't need, so what it means, what it feels like to me, it you don't need to be an extremist. As I kind of shared, I, I felt like I was and in some to some degree still am. Um, it's just maybe the best thing we can do is a little more good each day. (laughs) I mean, it's really simple. You know, we can't necessarily wake up one day and be uh, perfect human and perfected. But we can get up every day and do a little more good. And it just it it, to me, it's, it's like a great, a great phrase for life. I think that there's tons of evidence scientifically to show that if you just make incremental improvements every day you will evolve. So a little more good is like another kind of synonym for evolution and continuing on moving. And I think that's, you know, we might have hard days and challenges, but to just wake up and and do more is, you know, in the best way we can. I think it's beautiful. And the last thing I would just, I feel compelled to share is that one time I asked one of these spiritual masters I learned from, um, it's like a Qigong Tai Chi master. I, I didn't talk about particularly today, but had a huge influence on me through a friend of mine who was a student of his. And, you know, he said, do you know what the force is that holds all the atoms and molecules together at the core level? And I said, I don't know. He said, it's love. I thought, ah, a long time I thought about the concept of love. That's a, a macro concept that we've all experienced and how Lo- like what love is on a physical level and he just basically cut all the noise away cut all the fat off the bone there and basically or off the meat there and just basically simplified it. like it is the force that holds everything together like love is you know you might call it the electromagnetic force uh the strong weak nuclear force you know the four fundamental interactions that somehow love is the is what all the scientists are looking for. It's the unifying force. Now that is sort of not a scientifically founded concept for those who need it to be all science. But basically, it makes sense when we see like what pulls two people together, there's some sort of thing that's not just chemical, there's an energy that causes the chemicals to be released, which we'll talk about in a future episode. But that that energy is love. It's that attraction that union, which when we unite to we feel whole. And that I think for me, my healing journey, I realized is actually just letting more love in and letting love this energy this electromagnetic this energy whatever it is whether it's electromagnetic or something else that we don't fully understand they call it light in the bible so it probably is somehow electromagnetic because light is electromagnetic but letting it basically make me whole to be to heal is to become whole and letting that energy in and it's like that the idea that god or the universe wants to fill us with love and light. And the only thing that stops it or him is us, our limited selves. And so actually opening up is the most beautiful thing. So guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And we'll definitely schedule another one for soon.
1: Thank, thank you, Matt. You. Thank
2: you.
0: It's so grateful, my friend. Yeah, I
2: look forward to our next conversation. <laughs> I really do. All right, thank Matt. Thank you. Until next time, guys. You got to keep thank well. You. Bye-bye. Likewise. Bye. All, right. Bye.
0: all right. Well, there it is. Matt Maruka. the man himself, sharing all about... The light diet. So good. There we go.
1: Raw optics. Check him out, rawoptics.com. Yeah. Check out his Instagram. Uh, Matt Maruka, the light diet. Um, and raw optics on Instagram is raw R A underscore optics. Uh they've got great infographs on kind of the circadian lifestyle, the light diet lifestyle. Um I know you're probably gonna want a pair of, of mm-hmm. amazing sunglasses after you check it out. It kind of cool. like sat in my inbox for like, like you know when you like put something in your checkout and you leave it for a while. Yeah. I think it was in my checkout for like eight weeks before I just like <laughs> allowed myself to fully
0: scratch that itch. Yes. But it felt nice. so good when I scratched it because I, awesome. I love them. Yeah. They're they're super cool. You sent me the pic when you first got them and it's was like, oh, they're so cool. Like, <laughs> just, yeah. They're awesome. Rick
1: Rubin wears them. Yeah. I mean. If Brooke Rubin wears them, I want to I wanna wear them too.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: All right, guys. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for tracking with us, for tuning in. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this this episode, uh, we're so grateful for, for likes, reviews, wherever you tune in. It allows us to spread the word of a little more good, spread a little more goodness to to the world. So thank you for for reviews, liking, following, making it this far. And we look forward to tuning in with you all next week. Same time, same place.
0: All right. Stay good, y'all. Peace.